Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Community Radio. This is bringing light into darkness, news, and analysis. I'm your host, Pedro Gatos, and we are transmitting from Austin, Texas, for your listening edification. Today is Thursday, February the 3rd, 2022. And the show will be rebroadcast on Monday, February the 7th, 2022, from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Please join us at koop.org. All comments are welcomed and can be sent to Pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's pgatos00 at gmail.com. Many of the shows are archived at pedrogatos.org. This is our 94th post-COVID show. A new world, but the same place. So stay tuned for a very informed and documented dialogue. Thank you for joining us. And we hope to have a recording of the show up on pedrogatos.org website for your closer scrutiny within the week. Again, thank you for joining us tonight, and thanks for inviting your friends to join us in future shows. So stay tuned. But first, in the battle of ideas, let's get ready to go to war. Welcome. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis with your host, Pedro Gatos. Tonight's show, we continue our mission to bring light to the volumes of evidence surrounding important issues for humanity that our mainstream media distort, omit, or otherwise misrepresent. Democracy demands the full vetting of all sides of all issues when it comes to foreign policy decision-making regarding war and conflict. Based on their own track record, our media and government should not be trusted without providing incontrovertible evidence for their assertions. We expect to be held to the same standard as we bring light into the darkness they have created. Tonight, we continue our investigative work around the U.S.-NATO-Ukraine-Russian conflict and shift to the geopolitical factors that are shaping the conflict with special guest investigative reporter Mike Whitney. Enjoy. Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Hornsby, Austin. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis. This is your host, Pedro Gatos. We are continuing our series of shows on the Ukraine, Russian, NATO, U.S. conflict. I'll be introducing our guests very shortly. I wanted to start the show off by reminding you that today is Thursday, February the 3rd, 2022, and we will be rebroadcasting this show live on Monday, February the 7th, 2022. We appreciate you sharing this show each week with your friends. We believe that we bring to light important information that's been omitted or been distorted in traditional news services. With that being said, let me just share that when it comes to diplomacy, the one non-negotiable prerequisite for all governments that have any kind of ethical standing is national security. That the people of your country are secure from attack, are secure from hunger, are secure from poverty, and are secure from preventable disease. If any of these security interests and quality of living standards of a population are compromised or caused by actual foreign interventions, then it is understood it is an act of war, unless it can be shown incontrovertibly that you violated another country's equal aspirations of the same virtue. In other words, you are acting in self-defense. But objectively speaking, our country, the United States of America, is more secure from external danger than at any time since before the world wars. We have no enemies desirous of using military force against either national territory 
or its core interest abroad. In fact, if there is a crisis in the United States, it is self-inflicted and criminally ignored by our mainstream media, and that would be the egregious wealth inequality that is slowly asphyxiating our middle class and the majority population of our country. I believe as a consequence that our country has long ago been hijacked by these material interests and the foreign policy along with it has been hijacked. Our foreign policy is focused on maintaining our status as the autocratic, if you will, ruling with complete power, the unipolar power of the world, if you will, or some people call it a hegemonic world power. But not only that, we act in our own interest without a primary concern for others that are impacted by our foreign policy. Arguably, this is particularly a truism when it comes to our position in Ukraine. We care very little what our foreign policy actions will do for the stability of Ukraine or the welfare of its people. Instead, our foreign policy has its eyes fixed on Russia. And when we talk about the crippling types of economic sanctions that right now we exercise upon close to one-third of the world's population, it seems like when it comes to Russia, the key would be that additional sanctions are put on Russia and that this is our interest to provoke Russia into an act that would justify, quote-unquote, further sanctions, that would serve as a casus bella for the sanctions and for gaining the full cooperation of our allies in Europe, which are not so allied in some of these sanctions issues. But the point of what I'm trying to get at is that the sanctions, if they are put on Russia, I believe they would be able to rather successfully deflect them, but it would do great damage to their economy. And really, that's what it appears that's going on in a certain sense, in a geopolitical sense, that we're trying to knock Russia down a number of rungs as an economic international power, and at the same time trying to prevent the burgeoning and solidifying alliance between Russia and China. But anyhow, with that being a precursor to talking tonight, I wanted to introduce our guests as we go into another area of this Ukraine-U.S.-NATO crisis, and that would be welcome back to Bringing Light to Darkness, Mike Whitney. Welcome back, Mike. Thank you, Pedro. And as per usual, I agree with everything you said in your introduction there. I thought it was very well stated. Well, thanks. Thanks for that. I just wanted to set, set up a context because we could talk for four hours on super important information that's been omitted from the public domain, but we're going to focus on some of your work. I wanted to share that just in the last week or so, maybe 10 days or so, I've read three of your articles that were published. One was Moscow to Washington, remove the nukes on our doorstep and stop the eastward push. That was back on the 25th of January. A couple of days later, you wrote another piece on Biden spitting on the uh, Putin's request for security. And the article I really wanted to focus on today or tonight, because it has a number of questions that are addressed that I think are essential to extending the discussion around our last couple of shows, and it's What Putin Wants is the name of the article, and it was just published today, and these are all in the UNZ Review, UNZ Review. But first, I also wanted to just forewarn our audience that as we, the United States, tends to step up the provocations of Russia 
and get them to act, I think, and invade and that type of thing. It seems like Russia's just not, they have other ideas of what they're going to do, and they have not satisfied that desire of the U.S., is what I would suggest. But also, there's been a number of quote-unquote satellite images talking about this great increase in, in troop strength by Russia. And what's not being reported is that there's a number of articles now coming out that's indicating not just this time around, but in November of 2021 and back in 2014, following the coup itself, that there were actually false satellite representations trying to incriminate Russia. And so I guess what I would just caution people is this is the type of thing that we saw in Iraq and others where evidence that's not really evidence is brought forward and that whether it's truly uh, accurate footage or not, I think is something that we need to validate before we believe it. Okay, so I just want to introduce that concept. And before we get to your article, Mike, did you want to speak to that issue about some of the claims? Are you familiar with the, the satellite pictures that they're referring to that may not be authentic? Of the Russian troop movements? Yes. Yeah, it's almost as impressive a diversionary and illusory you know, plan for propaganda campaign has happened during Russiagate. I mean, all this attention has been diverted to Russian troop movements when I can explain why those troops are there to begin with, but first of all, you should realize that it was the Ukrainian troops that were moving down into the area surrounding the Donbass, which is the Russian-speaking area that has been essentially autonomous since the coup in 2014. Mm -hmm. And the reason there's no peace in Ukraine is because it's severely ethnically divided, and those situation, that situation has not been resolved because the government in Kiev, which is pro-European, and the security services are actually run by neo-Nazis, and I'm not making that up. You can research that yourself. No, we've, dis uh, we've discussed are that. Very, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah you've, you've talked about that before have taken a very hostile approach and attitude towards the Russian-speaking people in the breakaway republics. So they have been surrounded, and they're uh, threatening to have another war against the Russian-speaking people in that area. So it stands to reason that the Russian army would be close to the border because they're going to protect those people that are connected to Moscow itself. That has always been the case mm -hmm. since 2014 and on. There's nothing exceptional about that at all. If the Kiev government goes in and starts slaughtering those people, as they attempted to do numerous times before but were repelled, Russia will take action that will repel those people. Mm -hmm. And there's no question that Russia doesn't have that within its arsenal and its army, the capacity to do that. But those mm -hmm. are the only situation, that's the only situation in which Russia would potentially invade, but probably wouldn't need to invade because they have the air capacity to basically take out these front lines of people who are threatening to invade. This offensive that has been marshaled by the Kiev government against the Russian-speaking people in the East has been done to divert attention from what's really happening. And what's really happening is on December 3rd, Putin delivered two draft treaties to NATO and to the United States, to the State Department, saying that they had a number of demands, security demands, that they needed to have the United States and NATO address immediately. And they laid out their demands in very clear language. 
and the United States is trying to, the State Department is trying to divert attention from those very reasonable demands that Russia is making to preserve its own national security. So that's the whole thing in a nutshell. It's a little bit confusing, but once again, it's the Western media that's moving the shells around so the average person has no idea of what's going on. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it, moving the shells around so the average person doesn't know what's going on. Let me just reiterate and comment on what you just said because I think it's important the false perception trying to be woven into the American consciousness is that an imminent invasion is, is coming. Russia is the aggressor. And to your point, indeed, the present crisis originated in the spring when Ukraine moved a large amount of its forces to that kind of contact line in the Donbass you were referring to. And with all of this bellicose language that was surrounding those movements and that Moscow's consistent position since then and at that point was that any attack would be intolerable. It would be met with active resistance on their part. So even if they were to go in, and I would suggest that they would probably come back out, and like I think more importantly what you said makes a lot more sense, is they can launch air attacks and other types of supporting attacks from their own side of the border without any troop movements that would suffice the defense of that area. But the point, really, I just wanted to start the show with is the fact that we are being told that Russia is the aggressor when, in fact, these aggressive numbers of troops have been in response to the movements of NATO forces and Ukrainian National Army movements in direction largely from the United States, which we've mentioned in other shows. Absolutely. So... So, you know, what your listeners need to know is that the demands Russia is making, and they are demands, yeah. are that they will not allow Ukraine to accept membership into NATO, because that, that would put NATO's infrastructure, military infrastructure, bases, hostile army, and missile sites, basically 400 miles from Moscow. Right. So it's the equivalent of the problem that JFK faced when Khrushchev put deployed missiles to Cuba. I mean, you can't have nuclear weapons. 60 miles from the United States. It's just unreasonable. It's a uh, the demands that they move them is, is completely reasonable and within our authority as far as right. various treaties safeguarding the security of all nations. And the other thing is that they are opposed adamantly to these missile defense systems, which are actually interchangeable with nuclear armed Tomahawk missiles that are, again, about six or 700 miles away in Poland and Romania. They can't allow those things to be activated. So uh, these are the issues, basically, and then they ask for the military, for NATO's infrastructure to be rolled back to 1997, which is debatable, and it's not really, that's not going to happen. But the other things, basically, Russia is dealing with a dagger to the throat, and they have to find some resolution in the United States doesn't want to deal with it at all. They've already said that an approach where they're going to accommodate these demands whatsoever. So uh, could we see military action? I doubt it. I think we'll probably see some asymmetrical maneuvering, perhaps nuclear weapons, Russian nuclear weapons put in, for example, maybe Venezuela or, or parts near the European border or something like that. Some countermeasure that will make the United States and NATO feel the pressure. Right, get some negotiating. Yeah, so I think the key, I mean, you mentioned a couple of things that are really important. I want to turn to your article, but as a segue to that, I just did want to say the key operative word is reasonable. And we're going to get to the actual location for the first time ever 
of U.S. nuclear missile potential right in Europe, much less like at the doorstep of Russia and such, and how we would never tolerate the same. But before we do that, I wanted to turn to your piece. And again, I want to remind folks that we're visiting with uh, Mike Whitney, the investigative reporter from Washington State. And he recently put out an article that came out today called What Putin Wants. And I, I thought it was very insightful piece, Mike, and, and I really like your writing style. You basically just put forth a number of questions and then gave background and backstory information that was relevant to those questions. So let's go through them. Just to clarify, yeah. you know, I tried to... I tried to write the article in a way that I thought mm-hmm. people who don't have the kind of time or are not devoted to reading, you know, number of articles that you and I read to get some background on this, just kind of a simple breakdown of what's happening and what the issues mm-hmm. are. And my feeling is that if the American people really had a clear understanding of what was happening, you'd have 90% support for the Russian position because it's just a reasonable position. It's a position the United American people understand because mm. we went through the Cuban Missile Crisis. So they know Absolutely. that putting nuclear-armed missiles 60 miles from your border is not a reasonable proposition. Yeah, we, we, we wouldn't allow them 90 miles from our border in Cuba. Well said. And, and that is exactly it, if the American public really knew some of this information. And that's what bringing light into darkness is. It's... If we ever present something that's erroneous, we need to know about it, and we will correct it in a heartbeat. We are totally dedicated to honest discourse, and and we live in a world in which there's profoundly dishonest types of information, and and that's what we want to get to. So the first one here is really a a big one in my mind. You, You ask the question, are there any agreements being violated that the United States has signed previously by trying to bring Ukraine into the NATO fold. And you indicate that, yeah, there's actually a couple of treaties that we signed in 1999 and 2010, and it was with the uh, OSCE nations. Can you elaborate on that point right there first for, and explain that, that? Sure, sure. The way, the way this is presented to the American people and the press is that NATO has an open-door policy, and people scratch their head and say, well, that sounds reasonable. Nations should be able to choose their own security arrangements, and so they agree with the way that it's presented to the media. But the way the media is presenting it is is implicitly dishonest. There are other situations involved. For example, there are 57 other countries that have signed these agreements that you cannot take steps to improve your own security at the expense of someone else's security. What does that mean? It means that Ukraine can't become a member of NATO because its membership poses a threat to Russian security. It means that the parties who signed this, the United States and NATO, they signed it, are prohibited from acting in a manner that runs counter to the principles laid out in the treaty. It means that you can't do what they're suggesting. You can't put missiles 90 miles from someone else's capital. Mm -hmm. You can't put military infrastructure and bases in hostile armies right next to someone else's borders, you know? Mm -hmm. That is prohibited by the signature that the United States officials willingly and freely put on those documents, those treaties. So it's not as simple as it looks. And it's it's common sense, right? I mean, it's not just treaty, but it's like, I have a right to build a fence on my side of the property, but, exactly, but there may be rules that, as far as uh, how high that fence can go, and 
you know, all of that type of stuff. <laughs> so you got to respect the yeah, other so, person's so rights. Ma- yeah, right. So massaging, massaging the issue in the media is, is just a losing way to try to understand what's actually going on. But yet, I just want to add one thing. Dating back to 2007, when Putin gave his famous speech at the Munich Security Conference, this has always been the main issue, the, the bone of contention mm-hmm. between Russia and the United States, which is we need a completely new security, global security architecture so that one country alone can't arbitrarily and unilaterally apply its own values as far as just, you know, invading other countries. You know, we have Afghanistan, Syria, Libya, a swath of countries from North Africa all through the Middle East into Central Asia now that have been toppled and ruined and sent plunging into chaos because one country is arbitrarily interpreting the rules so it benefits its own geopolitical ambitions. Very and good. that's Very the good. problem mm-hmm. he's always had with the United States. And he's just saying, you know, dude, I don't want a fight with you. I don't want a confrontation. But we see the world as, as different, okay? We see China and Russia and Brazil and some of these other countries it's a polycentric world that's emerging with more centers of strength. It's, we're not living through the post-World War II era anymore where the entire globe is in ruins, and the United States is the only game in town. There's a number of places that are prospering, particularly China, and that's going to be the most prosperous region in the world. And we can't let the United States, that is in a state of moderate or accelerating decline, basically upset the apple cart because it doesn't like the way things are hashing out. Yeah, and let's turn to those geopolitical, let's save that conversation for a little bit later tonight because that's Mm -hmm. how we should close the show as you closed your article with, actually. I wanted to move on to the segment. So basically it's the indivisibility or the inviolability of national security. It's not the world was made so that, that the United States would have national security and no other country is allowed to have it or can have it or doesn't have the same right to it, but that all countries have the same right to national security. So that point's well put together in your article. The second point that I wanted to ask you to speak to had to do with Zelensky, the president of the Ukraine. And by the way, I think it's important. I, I talked about this last week, and I want to mention it again. We're so quick to talk about the sovereignty of a nation, right? And it's the sovereign right of Ukraine to do X, Y, or Z when it comes to security issues or join NATO or that type of thing. We've already kind of talked about that. But I just wanted to reiterate that there's no greater violation in world contemporary history than a coup that overthrows a democratically elected president. And that's what we did in the Ukraine. Then we turn around and we talk about sovereignty rights of a nation that now we basically got in our back pocket since we have security commitments from them and have been training their armies and $2.7 billion have been funneled in and $5 billion were funneled in before that, before 2014. Zelensky, who got in the latest election was elected, and is still under the gun from the far right there as well as his own inconsistencies, he has been actually downplaying the very hyperbolic reports about the imminent invasion thing and his concern about his economy there when he doesn't see Russia as an imminent threat, nor apparently does his national security team, which has indicated that they're not that sure that Russia really is imminently going to invade. Can you speak to that? 
Well, first of all, uh, Zelensky's kind of interesting himself because he, uh, he was formerly a comedian who kind of rocketed to power on the back of his promise of reuniting Ukraine. But basically, he's turned out to be another puppet of Washington. But he's a, he, he seems like there's something genuine about the guy that seems, you know, the, the guy before him was just an oligarch and a crook who was, uh, Pedro Poroshenko obviously had his own interests in mind the entire time, but he was doing whatever Washington told him. The situation now where the media coverage is being ratcheted up just to ridiculous levels, and here's Biden on the phone with Zelensky telling him, well, an attack by Russia, an invasion by Russia is imminent. And Zelensky's saying, hey, you got to calm down that sort of messaging. We don't have tanks in the street. There isn't chaos. There isn't troops are not in the city and people are not fleeing. And we just need to put a damper on this so that we can get back to living life normal. What his real problem is just not with the, as you called it, hyperbolic reporting in the media. It's the fact that $4 billion mm-hmm. has fled Ukraine that is just a hard scrabble place to begin with. I mean, they're dealing with a, a bankrupt system. And the money is flying out of there because business people are so concerned about the, what they're hearing in the media. So Zelensky, is, it sounds like he's being critical of the Biden administration. It's actually kind of a, a desperate appeal to them to be reasonable to, so that they, to, to they, they put a, down. a damper on right. this sort of hysteria that they're breeding. Let me ask you just real quick, share this, because I think it's really important. This is the point that I was trying to get to at the beginning of the show. We are not interested in the Ukraine, nor the Ukrainian people. Zelensky is. And our deal that we'll get to a little bit later has to do with the geopolitical interests of tamping down the economic might and influence of Russia. And if the Ukrainian people get rolled up under the bus on on the way to doing that, who cares? That's really the message that I think we should understand based on previous foreign policy actions that we've done similarly in other countries. But before we go on, we need to take a quick break, a pause for the cause. This is 91.7 KOOP Hornsby Austin. This is bringing light into darkness. We'll be back right after this. Don't touch that dial. 